0: People of God, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let
1: us rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, welcome to Worship with Morrisville Presbyterian Church. Whether you are a longtime member or visiting with us for the very first time in worship, we welcome you. We're so thrilled you've chosen to worship with us this day. Today we begin a journey into the Babylonian exile with God's people. A journey that took God's people far from home in fear and anguish and yet also a journey during which God's people were shaped and formed by God in new ways. As we venture into the world of exile alongside God's people, let us open our hearts and our minds to be molded and shaped by God in a new way for this new season. Let us prepare our hearts for worship.
0: to your home worship bulletin and join me in our responsive call to worship. Though we weep by the rivers of Babylon, God is here. Though we feel a world away and everything we hold sacred feels lost, God is here. Even in exile, there is hope. Even in exile, God is faithful. Especially in exile, God shapes us for Christ's kingdom especially in exile, we are molded for God's new chapter. May we open our hearts to the spirit of God, melting us and molding us anew. May we open our hearts to receive God's spirit in. Let us worship God together.
1: Hey everybody, it's so great to be with you. It's Pastor Rachel and Pastor Alex today. We are together in our memorial garden, but don't worry. We are six feet apart, right, Alex?
2: We are. We, we are. are absolutely six feet apart.
1: So we wanted to do this Time for Young Disciples together today because I don't know if you know this. I'm going to wait for that truck to go by. I don't know if you know this. It is Pastor Alex's one-year anniversary with us. <laughs> We're really excited. Pastor Alex has been a pastor at our church for a year now. And if I say, I, it's been a pretty memorable year, Alex, wouldn't you say? I'd say
2: so too. So, it's very, been very memorable.
1: I have a couple questions for Pastor Alex that he's going to answer for you to tell you a little bit more about his first year. So, Alex, the first question for you. Yes. What is your favorite memory from this past year?
2: My favorite memory from this past year is when, it's right in the sanctuary right behind us, when I was ordained at this church. It was such a great memory and so important for me to be able to do it here, to celebrate it with you all. And you all were so welcoming to my family and to my other church families that I've had in the past. So I'm very grateful for that moment.
1: That's awesome, I remember that day, it was a great day. So what has been, I don't know, what's been the hardest part? Of your first year?
2: (laughs) Hardest part? Okay well I would say that I was really excited to have Easter in the sanctuary and to have a summer in Yardley and that didn't quite happen the way that I planned it and so I would say the hardest part has been the coronavirus but I have been very grateful for the way that we all have responded.
1: Great. It turns out that's been my hardest part too alex yeah. so i'm glad we share that glad this year. glad we're not alone um and last question what are you most grateful for at mpc
2: most grateful for well there are a lot of things to be grateful for but i think the main thing is the people here at mpc the way that you all have welcomed me from the beginning and supported me throughout this up and down year of ministry first year of ministry um, all the people from the little people all the way up to the tall people. Um, and uh, the way that you all worship together and uh, are a community together and you do mission together in the, in the community. So I'm very grateful for all of you.
1: Little to tall. Little to tall. We've got them all. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. We're so glad Alex is here with us. We are going to offer a prayer of blessing for him and a prayer of gratitude to God for him this year. So, please join me in prayer. You can repeat after me. Dear God, dear God. We thank you for Pastor Alex. Thank you for Pastor Alex. We thank you that he loves you. And, he loves you. and we thank you that he loves this church.
2: Thank you that he loves this church.
1: Help us. Help us to continue to love and care for him.
2: To continue to love and amen amen
1: it's great to see all of you
2: great to see you all have a great week bye bye as we approach a time now for the hearing of scripture let us prepare our hearts and minds in prayer let us pray spirit of the living god fall afresh on us spirit of the living God fall afresh on us melt us mold us fill us use us spirit of the living God fall afresh on us amen our scripture passage for this morning comes from Psalm 137 this psalm was written during the Babylonian exile in a time where the people of Israel were felt dislocated and removed. It is a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. It is a time where people are asking the question, how can we possibly sing songs of joy when we are so far away from home? So let us listen now for the word of the Lord. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: We sat there and we wept. We sat there by the edge of the river and we wept. And our, our instruments, those instruments we loved to play night and day, we, we hung them on the willow trees. You remember that. I, we just we wept. They, they wanted us to sing songs of joy. They wanted us to sing songs that would make them feel better and feel good about themselves. But how could we possibly sing songs of joy in a foreign land? How could we possibly sing it all? And so we sat by that river and we wept. Our scripture passage today, this psalm of lament, it was written in the midst of the Babylonian exile. It was a time when the people of Israel, God's people, were forcibly removed from their homes, taken to a foreign land and from everything that they had ever known and held dear. It was a traumatic season, to say the least, filled with tears and grief and sadness and anger and fear and anxiety, and as a result the community that would eventually return to Jerusalem after exile, well, it would never be the same. Now before I get too far down the track, I want to take a couple minutes to put the Babylonian exile in context because I realize it's very easy in church to say something like, oh you know the Babylonian exile and assume that everyone knows what you're talking about. But I have been in Old Testament 101 before and I know that that's not the case. So here is a brief history, hang in with me, a brief history lesson for the day to hopefully put this a little bit more in context for you. Around the year 1000 BCE, the people of Israel established themselves as a monarchy. Now, for those of you who have been studying First and Second Samuel in brown bag Bible study, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. But before this time, Israel had been ruled by judges. But Israel, they wanted to be like every other nation. And so they asked God to give them a king. The very first king of Israel was King Saul. Saul ruled for 42 years, but frankly, it didn't end very well. Ask your friends from Bible study. And after Saul, King David assumed the throne. This ushered in the golden age of Israel's monarchy. David ruled for some 40 years, and upon David's death, David's son Solomon assumed the throne. Now, during Solomon's reign, the people of Israel built a glorious temple in Jerusalem. This is the really important part, an exquisite home for Yahweh, the likes of which had never been seen before. The temple became the place that the Israelite people would come and worship the Lord their God. Life was good for Israel in every way. And then King Solomon died and things started to fall apart. You see, Solomon's sons had a bit of a squabble over who was going to inherit the throne. And this meant that what had been Israel was then divided into two kingdoms, formally divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which was called Samaria, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Hold on with me. We're almost done. In 722 BCE, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. Assyria was a dominant force in the region, and the northern kingdom would never reemerge. But meanwhile, Judah, the southern kingdom, the home of Jerusalem and the sacred temple, the land from which King David had originally hailed and the land considered most sacred, Judah continued to hold on and hold strong as a nation-state for another 125 years. But in 597 BCE, the Babylonians who had supplanted the Assyrians as the dominant force in the region, the Babylonians conquered Judah and began transplanting many of its citizens to Babylon. In 586, the conquest of Judah was completed because under the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar II, the Babylonians destroyed that glorious temple the temple that had been built during the time of King Solomon. The temple was torn to the ground, completely destroyed, and the vast majority of those still living in Judah were forcibly removed and taken to Babylon. Keep in mind, this community of God's people was originally formed from the Exodus in Egypt a thousand years earlier. This same community that God had protected and cared for and loved and promised to protect now found themselves dislocated from their homeland, cut off from all they knew and held dear, cut off from rituals of worship and all that was familiar in their daily lives, forced now to live in exile in Babylon. And I lay all this history out to remind us just how much time Just how much history and life and ritual and rhythm and time had gone into this relationship between God and God's people. This was not a new relationship still blossoming in honeymoon bliss. This was a relationship that had been established a thousand years earlier. It was a relationship that had stood the test of time where God had proven God's self-faithful time and time and time again. But all of this history is also a reminder that in every new season Israel found themselves in, over those thousand years, God was also doing new things among them all the time. God was working among them and through them and even in spite of them in the midst of Exodus and judges and prophets and kings and divided nations and even and perhaps especially in exile. Now though I don't believe it's appropriate to draw a direct link between people who were forcibly removed from their homeland to our plight today, we too know what it's like to be living in a really strange season. In a season where we feel cut off from our church, from a place where we know God's presence deeply. We feel cut off from daily rhythms of life and worship, separated from people who we hold dear. We too have been filled with anxiety and fear and questions too numerous to count. We too have wondered in our beds at night, will we ever be able to truly go home? What will be left of home even if we do get there? What does it mean to be God's people in this season of exile? As individuals and as a church family, we have navigated some treacherous waters in this season. We have grieved the loss of dear friends without having a space to come together to mourn their death. We have watched friends and family members lose jobs and livelihoods. We have watched neighbors and loved ones sink deeper into depression and anxiety in a severe season of isolation. We have navigated the questions and anxieties and fears of a deadly pandemic that has swept the globe. And we have watched a reckoning take place in the soul and on the streets of this country around white racism and white supremacy and police brutality, the likes of which I have not seen in my lifetime, perhaps not in yours either. And all of these things, all of these fears and anxieties and griefs and questions and reckonings, they have all taken place in the midst of this season of exile. And so I find myself wondering what is God doing among us and through us, and perhaps even in spite of us in this season of exile? What does it mean to be God's people in this season of exile? Inevitably, there is a temptation to just grit our teeth, keep our head down, shut ourselves off to the world around us and seek to be as unaffected as possible. But what if God wants us to be affected? What if God desires desires for us to be molded and shaped by this season? What if in each of our hearts... God is seeking to do a new thing. How might we open our hearts and our minds more fully to God's transformative power rather than simply seeing this as something to get through? And so with that in mind, I find myself asking harder questions. Harder questions of myself, harder questions of our life together as the church. For example, how are we being shaped as God's people in the midst of a season when we cannot physically be together? How are we being molded as God's people to reimagine our rhythms and patterns of life and worship How are we being transformed in our understanding of how we are called to love and care for one another and especially for the most vulnerable among us? How are we being challenged as God's people to listen to the voices of people long silenced who are crying out from the soul and streets of this country, a country that we celebrate this weekend, but a country that was built on the backs of slaves? Slaves whose blood and sweat fills the very soil on which we stand. How are we being convicted as individuals and as a church to not only acknowledge the history from which we come, but also to acknowledge? and fight against the deep and abiding and toxic realities of that history that remain in our education system and our housing system and our justice system and our health system and in our homes and in our schools and in our churches and businesses and even and perhaps especially in our very own hearts and souls. It is not lost on me. That in the same way the Israelites were called upon by their captors and oppressors in Babylon to sing them songs of joy. The very people who were enslaved in this country were called upon to sing songs of joy that would be pleasing to the white ears of their captors and oppressors. It has made me wonder if I too, if we too are guilty of requesting songs of joy from those who only know lament. It has made me wonder how we are perpetuating the exile of other beloved children of God. And so, people of God, what does it mean to be God's people in this season of exile? What does God want to mold and shape and transform within our hearts and the heart of our church in this strange season? I wish I had all the answers, and I don't. But I do know that thousands of years ago, God's people were not only forced into a season of exile, they were transformed in that season of exile. They were forced to reckon with their own understandings of self. They were molded in a way that clarified anew who they were and who God had called them to be in the world. They were shaped in new ways for God's new purposes, in ways that they could not have conceived of or imagined. It is my prayer that as we continue to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be God's people in this season of exile? It is my prayer that we will have the courage to open our hearts and our minds to the wonders God might do in our own lives and in the life of our church. It is my prayer that we will have the humility to allow our hearts to break on behalf of God's children, crying out from an exile we cannot even begin to fathom. It is my prayer that we will have the boldness to respond to God's call upon our lives with action and conviction and perseverance. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us, O God. And while you're at it, soften us, empower us, embolden us, and always go before us, behind us, within us, and when needed, go in spite of us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.
0: Please turn to your home worship bulletin and join me as we affirm our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Together let us state what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried.
1: Friends, as we gather around tables today, the Lord's table, we're reminded that the Lord's table is not a table that's set for 99 and 100 show up. This is not a table with VIP seating or where reservations are needed. In fact, this is a table that Jesus would leave in order to seek out anyone who had no place. This is a table that Jesus would abandon if there were placeholders or seats of honor being assigned. This is a table that Jesus would not hesitate to turn over if it was being corrupted by the divisiveness and hatred and injustice of this world. Because this is not, never was, and never will be our table. This is the Lord's table. This is the table where division does not exist, where hatred has no home. This is a table where violence and injustice and systems of oppression will not be tolerated. This is a table where not one child of God will need a protest or a parade to feel wanted or accepted or welcomed or loved or that they matter in the eyes of God. This is the Lord's table. A table where hate has no home. A table where every child of God doesn't just matter, but is beloved. And a table where love is love, is love. And friends, even as we are gathered around many different tables in many different homes today, we invite you to remember the love and the peace and the justice and the mercy and the compassion and the grace that is offered by our Lord Jesus Christ at his table. For it is a love that not even death can conquer. It is a grace that puts the proud to shame and fills our hearts to overflowing and it is a table that binds us together with one another today, even as we are apart. And a table that binds us together with the great cloud of witnesses from every time and every place. So let us gather around the Lord's table this day.
2: The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Blessed are you, O God, for you have brought forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, O God, for you have created the fruit of the vine. In the beginning, you watered the earth that your creation might have food and drink. You gave your servants in exile bread to strengthen them on their journey and drink to ease their hearts. You called Israel out of bondage, and refreshed them with food in the wilderness. You gave Mary and Jesus their bread, their daily bread to share. And here, at your table, you offer us bread and cup for the journey ahead, to nourish us as your children. And so, with all our siblings in Christ before us and beside us, we praise you from our hearts for your unending greatness. Lord Jesus Christ, present with us now, as we do what we did in your upstairs room, breathe out your Spirit upon us and upon this bread and cup, that they may be heaven's food and drink for us, renewing and sustaining and making us whole, that we may be your body on earth, loving and caring in the world. Amen. I now invite the youngest member of your table to take the bread that you have, that you've brought with you, and I invite you to break it, remembering what Jesus said at the Last Supper. This is my body, broken for you, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
1: And friends, now we invite the oldest person at your table today to take the cup, to lift the cup or pour the cup and remember that our Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink it. Do so remembering me. For friends, as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. Friends, as this bread has been broken for you, as this cup has been poured for you, take and eat, take and drink, and make sure that everyone who you are with this day has their fill of God's grace and God's love. For this is the body and blood of Christ broken for you broken for me. Take and eat, take and drink.
2: Let us pray. In these days, O oh holy God, that seem long and in these weeks that seem even longer, we come to you wondering when this season will end. We come to you with our frustration and our grief and our longing for normalcy and good news. We often feel as if we're coming up empty. We hear the hope of reopening But no, we'll be waiting a while longer. We glimpse the promise of normalcy on the horizon and know that even when we reach that horizon, it won't feel like it once did. On this weekend, when we're supposed to be worshiping together in our sanctuaries and gathering in groups for picnics and parades to honor those who have given of themselves so selflessly of this country. Instead, we find ourselves in the same places we've been for weeks with a grief that persists, a longing that feels overwhelming and a loneliness that clings to your bones. We're not so sure when we can gather again in worship. So for now, when a song fills our hearts and our hips sway to a familiar rhythm and our voice takes flight, May it be counted as praise. When our eyes brighten in a smile behind this mask as we thank the cashier, may it be counted as passing the peace. When we snap at our spouse or our friends or our child, may the I'm sorry that follows be counted as confession. May the hug or embrace or grace we receive be counted as the warmth of your forgiveness. When we read the news and our heart tightens in our chest, and when the tears come and our shoulders shake and our breathing falters, may it be counted as prayer. When we sit at the same table in our apartment or home and eat one more meal at home or share bread and cup across a screen, may it be counted as communion. Merciful God, Receive these prayers and every prayer that lingers in our hearts. May we be a people who live in faith and cling to the hope of the one who came to comfort us in times of trial, sustain us in seasons of longing, and breathe peace upon us that passes all understanding. And now hear us as we join in the voice of the one who came to save us all, praying as he taught us, saying, Our Father, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen.
1: So my friends, what does it mean? to be God's people in this season of exile. It is my prayer that as we continue to explore that question, we will have the courage to open our hearts and our minds to the wonders that God might do in our own lives and in the life of our church. May our prayer always be melt us, mold us, fill us, use us, O God. And while you're at it, Soften us, empower us, embolden us, and always go before us, behind us, within us, and even if needed, go in spite of us.
2: And as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be with those you love, be with those whom you're called to love this day, forevermore. Amen.